Cancer Pants Podcast gives voice to cancer thrivers and caregivers from all walks of life. In this podcast, we'll have conversations exploring the thoughts, feelings, and experiences with those who journey with cancer. I'm your host, Rochelle Trudeau. I'm a cancer thriver of 12 years, and I believe that sharing stories is a vital part of our healing journeys. The storytelling in this podcast is meant to encourage, comfort, and provide insight for anyone who journeys with cancer. Welcome to Cancer Pants. Today, I'm having a conversation here with Linda Reisenbeck. Is that how to say your last name? Reisenbeck. That's okay. Reisenbeck. <laughs> she, she just goes by Linda. I do. To me. Linda R. <laughs> Linda R on Instagram. Yeah. That's where we do most of our communicating. Sadie's um, mom. Sadie's mom. She has the sweetest dog. Oh my goodness. It is so adorable. We, we mostly talk Thank about you. dog things. We <laughs> so, do. Sometimes we talk about cancer things, but mostly we talk about dog things. <laughs> well, you have a new baby too. So I that's do. exciting. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's great. So today, um, well, one of the reasons that Linda um, is here with me is because she had reached out to kind of ask me a little bit about um, how to help out her cousin, Carla, who at the time was going through some treatment. And, um, we just got to talking and having a really good conversation about it. And, um, she was really, um, instrumental in helping me to understand what, uh, what kind of service I can provide to people just by having gone through, um, an experience with cancer. So I, I thought I'd have her on the podcast to give the perspective of a caregiver, a buddy, a pal, a sidekick. You can call, you can explain whatever you felt like you were for her, Mm -hmm. but who, who is that, that person that takes you to your appointments and does all these things. So that's what we're going to talk about today is Carla's journey and Linda's kind of view of it and how it was her journey as well. So, right. Take, take over. Here you go. Like introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the story. Okay. Thank you, Rochelle, very much for having me on your podcast, which I just think is going to do incredible things to help people. You are an amazing person. Mm -hmm. Um, And for those of you who have not seen Rochelle's documentary called Cancer Pants, it's a must see if you or anyone you know is going through cancer, it's an uplifting, positive kind of how to look at it in a better way point of view. And that's how I got to know Rochelle was watching her movie when my sister-in-law was diagnosed with breast cancer and then my cousin Carla with colon cancer. And I reached out to Rochelle. Um, Fortunately, she answered back um, to find out what I could or should not do to help my cousin as she went through this journey. Um, I'm 67 years old. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, worked in healthcare for 46 years, not a doctor or a nurse, but I supported a physician and worked in medical education for many years. Um, My cousin, Carla, very dear to me, very dear to me. Um, We did not see a lot of each other. We 
lived close, but she had her kids. I had my my family, my extended family, and um, we kept in touch. We talked a lot on Facebook, which was the way four or five years ago. And um, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in September of 2015. I have so many dates I have for her. Uh, she had been having stomach pains and she was raised in a house where you didn't go to the doctor mm -hmm. unless you were, you know, you couldn't move or talk and sick, sick. she is <laughs> sick, sick. And, and she just kept fighting this stomach pain with over the counter medications. And it got to a point where she couldn't tolerate the pain any longer. And her kids took her to an emergency room where the doctor's first did a physical exam and they were quite alarmed at what they felt physically. She wasn't heavy. She was very slim. Uh, they did an ultrasound. They did an MRI and very shortly came back to her, her room to tell her that she had cancer that had gone to her liver, was in her colon. Her liver was quite large. And the doctor said he knew almost as soon as he touched her abdomen that there was a really severe problem going on. Um, the doctors told her that without treatment, she had one to three months to live. Wow. And it was just very sad, very sad. Um, she had three grandchildren who were at the hospital with her. And she told the doctor that she did not want to go through treatment. She had heard the horrors of chemo and radiation from other friends who had gone through it. And if she didn't have that long to live, she wasn't going to live out the time she had left being sick. Mm -hmm. The kids were very upset because she was a young woman at the time and um, they begged her to, to do treatment. So that was in 2015 and she passed in 2020. So mm -hmm. she had, did have time. A lot of it was really good quality time. Um, they started her on chemo. She would keep in touch with all of us, letting us know what was going on. Um, she had several surgeries during that time. She had three ports put in. The first mm -hmm. one developed a leak that they were not aware of until weeks into the problem. She was getting chemo and following her chemo treatments, her shoulder would ache in her chest. And this became very severe. She'd have muscle spasms. They'd take her to the ER They'd give her muscle relaxers and pain pills and send her home. Well, finally, someone said, let's do a port test. Mm -hmm. They did and found that the port had a hole in it. and The chemo was leaking into her muscles. Yeah. So that wow. was really hard. Oh my goodness. No wonder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, it was horrible for yeah, her. So I'm just going to put a little pause right here and just explain mm -hmm. to our listeners what a port is. Um, mm -hmm. A port is a, is more specifically called a portacath. And it's put inside underneath the skin so that inter the chemo doesn't have to be given intravenously. So if you have multiple um, injections or infusions, I should say, mm -hmm. of chemo that you don't have to really ruin your arm over it. And um, they do that also to avoid what happened to Carla, but yes, it's, yes. Like she had that complication. So um, she did. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about that, but yeah, I'll describe a little, um, definition of that as well in the, in the footnotes of, in the show notes. 
So thank you. I didn't uh-huh. think, yeah, to, think to do that. That's okay. I just want to make sure that as we talk about these um, stories that we mm-hmm. also be an educating, a, a place of education and um, awareness so that people can better support their, their friends and family. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, that port was removed. Another one was put in. Unfortunately, that one became infected and she was diagnosed with sepsis and hospitalized for quite some time. That is, Um, I know it's, it's, she was so sick then and they put a third port in and that finally worked, but it was a long process to get from, the first one to the third one. And it was very painful for her. Um, She was on, she was on infused chemo. She was on oral chemo. The oral chemo made her feel very sick. The infused Mm -hmm. chemo really didn't bother her that much. And she actually did not lose all of her hair. It started coming out slowly, but Mm -hmm. she was such a positive person. And she would go on Facebook and say, you know, I had a rough day, but Um, I'm not going to dwell on the negative. I'm still here. They're Mm -hmm. keeping me going. For the most part, I feel better. So that was her attitude. She was just such a positive person. And we all tried to help her. Um, You know, I took her a cookbook, a cancer cookbook. (laughs) Um, I don't know if she ever used it. She was a picky eater, but um, I took her a cookbook and took some meals to her and we just kept in touch and she knew that if she needed me, I would be there for her, but her kids were really Mm -hmm. wanting to be involved in that as much as they could. So I stepped aside and didn't try to intrude on that. Um, The difference came on her birthday of 2020, which was January 11th. I knew that she had not been feeling well. And my husband and I stopped and bought her a very elaborate birthday cake for her 60th birthday. And um, on the way to take this cake to her, this funny side story that she actually found amusing was we found a stray dog that we picked (laughs) up, (laughs) which we've done a lot in our lives. But anyway, this dog was in the backseat of the car and we were driving to Carla's and it was a Husky and it was kind of frantic and all over. And it was raining that day. So there was mud and the dog put a big muddy paw print right on the top of the cake box <laughs> and kind of smushed in the special decor that was right. on the cake. Well, we get to Carla's and my husband and the dog are in the car and I go in and I'm laughing and I'm saying, Carla, if you don't want this cake, I understand, but trust me, there is no dog here. And it, it just stepped on the top. She was an animal lover, so she didn't care. Mm-hmm. She started to laugh. And then all of a sudden, she started to cry and she was a very emotional person. She was the type that would cry when you would be kind to her. She would cry. She was just such a sweet, kind person. Anyway, her tears became more and more. And I asked her what was wrong. And she said that she'd received a call from her oncologist a couple of days ago that her current cancer was no longer doing anything to help her and her tumor markers were through the roof and so the basically she on, the treatment yes. she was on was just at a plateau and it wasn't doing anything it was and it was what the oncologist called their last resort yeah. treatment wow okay and she was very upset 
of course. And she said oh. she was so afraid that she would die on in September of 2020 because they told her that the survival rate for her type of cancer, which had also metastasized to her liver, was five years with chemo. And she had that five-year timeline in her mind. This was January wow. when this happened. And she said, I'm wow. so afraid I'm going to die in September, I, which kind of upsets me because I know statistics, they need to gather the data. They need to put it together. They need to report on it. But it's hard when you have that stuck in your mind when you're that ill. Anyway, yeah. her doctor said that possibly she could join a clinical trial, but Carla being Carla didn't want to impose on her kids to miss work, take her to and from, be mm -hmm. with her. She was ill. And I had retired um, the year before, which mm -hmm. was lucky. And I said, you know, I will take you anywhere you need to go. If we need to go out of town, we'll fly out of town. I, I had time and I wanted to help her. And wow. because of that, she agreed to do it. Mm. So we got her hooked up with a clinical trial at University Hospital, University of Cincinnati. <coughs> Pardon me. No worries. And um, she was very intimidated by all of it, of course. And fortunately, I had worked for medical education and research fell under the umbrella of my boss's responsibility. He was also a physician, happened to be a gastroenterologist as well. And I kind of knew what she had to do to, to be in a clinical trial, the paperwork that was involved. So we went down, we got the contract, which was like 65 pages long. Oh my goodness. And I know I said, I'll take it home. I'll go over it. I'll tick anything that, you know, we'll have questions about because she just, she couldn't deal with it. Right. You wrap her mind around that with exactly. everything going exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. So we took care of that. We went down to UC, we signed the papers and got her started. And um, her first infusion, she was on two drugs for the life of me. Now I can't remember what the names of them were, but she got one infusion and she did very well. And she had a total of three infusions throughout the process. And um, we would, you know, she'd have a PET scan and things would be unchanged, which was good and bad at the same time. But her last infusion, she had a PET scan the following Wednesday. And the doctor, we were to see the doctor a few days later, which we did. And Dr. Sohal came in looking very sad. And he said he was sorry to report that the clinical trial had not helped her at all. Her, ca her cancer had actually grown quite, quite aggressively in the course of two months time. And she just looked him square in the eyes and said, how much time do I have left? And he showed us the scan of her liver. We weren't aware what we were looking at, but it did not look good anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> he said, are you sure you want to know that information? And she said, I do. And she reached over and took my hand and he said, maybe one to three weeks. So oh you really, I know you really yeah. need to get your affairs in order and she just sat there and I was stunned. She was stunned. Neither one of us knew what to say. She just held my hand and I just held her hand really tightly. And she said, mm -hmm. well, I, I need to go get things straightened out. So we thanked him 
everyone came in to say goodbye to her. The staff had become quite fond of her over that three-month time period, and they all said how sorry they were that it had not worked. So we went out into a courtyard where there was a bench and trees and flowers, and we sat down, and I thought she would probably cry. She didn't. She just said to me, I can't believe I only have one to three weeks left. And we were, I think we were both in a state of shock. We knew that she was ill, but we were not thinking in terms of weeks of survival. When you think of go home and clean your house out and do what you need to do and give your belongings away if you want to and make sure your will's in order. It was just this rush of, oh my goodness, all the things I have to do to prepare for this hit her. And she said, um, I am not afraid of dying. She said, for, I just need you to know that I'm not scared to die. And I said, okay. And she said, but I do need you to help me plan for the end, mm-hmm. which she said, I don't want to put that on my kids. They've been through enough. She said, I think you would be able to help me with that better than they would. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of sucked it up at that moment and said, okay, you know, what we do now, we are transitioning from the clinical trial and some small piece of hope to accepting the fact that that is not going to happen and that we need to transition to her having the best end of life Mm -hmm. as possible. So we set about that task and she didn't tell the kids for a few days. And um, she told me what she wanted. On her, in her funeral, how she wanted that to be done. She had me come over several nights throughout the weeks that followed. She ended up living um, to July 4th. So she beat that one to three week odds, but it was a tough time. Yeah. She wanted me one evening. She said, will you come over and help me with something? And I got there and she was upstairs because she was having trouble walking at the time. Her abdomen was full of fluid and yeah. to drain it off wouldn't have done any good. It would have just come right back immediately. And the fluid was moving down and had nowhere to go but down. So it was going into her legs and her feet. Her legs had to be wrapped in bandages every couple of hours because the, the fluid was literally leaking out of the pores of her skin. And she wow. had trouble walking. So wow. I spent yeah. more time up in her room with her where she was comfortable. And she took me to her closet mm. and she said, I want you to tell me what you, which outfit you think I look better in, this one yeah. or this one, for when yeah. I'm laid out. And that was a very hard thing to hear. But she really needed me to be strong for her. And I said, I can't believe I'm helping you pick out an outfit to be laid out in. But frankly, yeah. I like you better in this. I, and then yeah. we started laughing. Yeah, that's all we could do. I mean, we were standing Uh, there in -hmm. her closet, picking out her funeral attire. Mm -hmm. Then we went over to her jewelry box and she said, I've always loved this necklace. Does it look okay with this top? And we just had to look at each other in total disbelief that we were doing this. And we got all that settled. And um, I called the funeral home that she wanted to go to. I gave him a description of what she wanted. And she wanted to be, she said, Linda, don't let them keep my coffin open if I don't look good. If I look okay, open. If I don't, closed. 
check my key made, for lipstick if it's yes, <laughs> literally my buddy. tuck my literally, tags in <laughs> literally make sure i'm not I gonna be there any, to do it so you i know don't make sure I don't you're like her hair her wing, her wing I know girl she's, <laughs> she said just make sure that i look okay that they you know they, yeah. they make me up to look like myself and Aww. that nothing is off she was so she was a beautiful girl she just didn't want anyone to be upset when they looked at her. I mean, she's still thinking of everyone coming to her funeral. Wow. So she said, if I don't look well enough to have the casket open, I want to be in the casket, have the service, casket closed. Then I want to be cremated afterwards. So basically, she wanted to rent a casket and then be cremated. I said, Carla, I don't know if they do that, but I will call. Mr. Neidhart and check. And he said, Oh, we do this all the time, which yeah. is kind of a surprise to me. Um, he said, we can do it that way if she wishes. So we put together her funeral. He sent it to me and we tweaked it. And I said, no, she won't like this. And this is the music she wants. She was very definitive mm-hmm. about what she wanted done. And he finally got it the way I thought she would like it. And he met with her and her daughter and uh, they finalized it. And then we just kind of went on through the days till the end. And she died peacefully. Um, They had to get her a hospital bed because she could no longer go up and down stairs. Someone was with her all the time. Her son and his fiance had moved in with her. And his fiance uh, worked in the emergency room at the hospital that Carla always went to. She wasn't a nurse, but Carla felt like she could help take care of her she picked up a few pointers here and there so um it was just a it was a long process it was five years of in and out of hospitals you know up and down tumor markers chemo sick not sick it was just a long process and I we agreed that I was her transition person and Mm. I really believe after going through this with her that that's something everyone needs because there are going to be people in your life, in my opinion, that are so emotionally involved. Not that I wasn't emotionally involved, but I wasn't one of her children. I was her, I was older than her. Um, She looked up to me kind of for guidance on how to walk through this. And somehow after much prayer and support from, other family members who have cancer on my husband's side, (laughs) unfortunately, um, it was a process that I was honored that she chose me to do that for her. And it was time that I will never forget. We talked about everything we had never talked about before. Um, It was a really close, intimate time. And the level of missing her that I feel is beyond description. And, uh, I have, I bought cousin bracelets for us (laughs) (laughs) and it was, it's so beautiful. It reads cousin, cousin to cousin. We will always be just a couple of nuts from the same family tree. (laughs) So (laughs) she thought she laughed when she saw that. So she liked that. Yeah. um, That's awesome. And also we were doing this when COVID was rampant and everyone was masking up and no one was supposed to be together. And we just decided there, you know, we were going to do this and 
we had to take our chances. I wasn't going to desert her at that time. There was a few occasions that I couldn't be near her because I had to be tested for it. And her daughter-in-law would take her to her appointment. But we were together most of the time and just going through these things together. And she would sit in the waiting room and see people come in and she would feel bad and want to go help them to their chair. And, you know, one gentleman that we saw every time would sit and he was just sit and he would just rock back and forth. And she said, that man, just all he does is rock. And I said, that's a form of self soothing. I know it is for me. (laughs) And he would just rock until he was called back. And then he would come out and go home. And you see so much, you see, you see a lot of bravery you see a lot of fear in the cancer units the waiting room is such a poignant place it is it is you cannot go to i think everyone as so many people that i've talked to and even my experience that the the waiting room is its own experience in itself because you're waiting for your your own treatment or the treatment of the person that you love that you're Mm -hmm. that you're there to support right and you're, and you're also thinking about what is you also, you have this little incubation of time where you get to think about what other people are going through. Exactly. Yeah. I remember thinking, um, oh, it must be so hard to be an elder because I was 36. I was very Mm -hmm. young. and I was like, oh, it must be so hard to be an elderly person and additional assistance and et cetera, et cetera. And I had kind of that bias in my head. Mm-hmm. It's not a negative one, but it was, you know, it must be harder for them. Right. And she, one, one day, this woman who was often in the waiting room with me, cause you kind of mm-hmm. have your crew on the certain days. Exactly. <laughs> she, she came over to me and sat next to me um, and put her hand on my knee and, and patted me. And she said, I don't know how you do this. You're so young. And it hit me that she was having the same feelings about me right. that she doesn't know. She, it wasn't fair that being so young, I should have to mm-hmm. go through. This. And mm-hmm. I was thinking the, the exact same thing about her. Exactly. So that reminded me of that story, but it's the waiting room really is. Um, you can get all kinds of insight and you can. You can. And I have to yeah. confess, I, I went back and watched your, your documentary again. Mm -hmm. just because I wanted to refresh my memory, but you were sitting in the waiting room, Mm -hmm. uh, getting your cytoxin infusion, I believe. Oh, well, yeah, I was in the chemo. Yes. You were in the chemo unit and you just kind of looked around and said, there's a really interesting vibe in here, a vibe of healing. And you were just looking at everyone (laughs) and you know, you were, you were there to heal. That was so obvious, you know, and yeah, I can imagine what you went through in that infusion unit all those yeah, times. I, yeah. I remember thinking about the striving, stri- the, the feeling of striving for healing, um, yes. like this desperation of like, this has to work, you know, yes. and this is something that is making me feel crappy, but it, it's got to work. And I just, it just right. hit that moment, like I, there, there's this common striving right Um, right you know kind of like front lines (laughs) exactly exactly don't like to refer to cancer as a battle but for personally for me but it's Mm -hmm. that same energy of like we're here and it's crappy but there's a bigger 
a bigger purpose. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. When you were being treated, Rochelle, did you have a problem with just stopping what you were doing and being in your treatment? Because I know Carla worked. She continued to work three years after her diagnosis, despite wow. the neuropathy in her hands and feet, oh my despite any discomfort she had. She'd be feeling ill one night, but she'd say, I'm going to go to work tomorrow because wow. I that want to really helped her go stay, get it going. Cause she I, had a purpose. Yeah, I think it did. What was and her she, work? What was the work she did? She actually was an apartment rental manager. Okay. So she had to take people to the units and show them with such severe neuropathy. She continued to do that until she yeah. just couldn't any longer. And she went on disability. Her doctor's office helped her file. And she had a hard time just slowing down and, mm -hmm. and just healing because that's not her nature. Yeah. So I, would, I know that that was hard for her. She struggled with that. Yeah. And I think at 36, yeah, I, I, I knew that it wasn't a forever thing at that point in my mind. I didn't, mm -hmm. I was I knew that there was hopefully an end to my treatment, mm -hmm. but, um, when I, when it hit me that I couldn't really be doing massage, being looking and feeling the way I was feeling it, uh -huh. people getting a massage, wouldn't be able to receive that because they'd be more worried about me. So when the scales tipped into my clients having to be more worried about my health than me about mm -hmm. theirs, mm -hmm. then I think that I, that, that hit me. And it, I just said, well, I guess I need to stop working, but it was very, it was difficult. I'm sure but it I was, need, but you know, you need to rest. And, um, if I could go back and tell that myself that I, that, you know, just sleep, just sleep. you're right. not, you're going to have a kid someday. You need to get as much right. rest as you can use your cancer card for the best. Your kid and puppy. Rest now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to go, I want to go back and thank you. Thank you for telling that story in such a beautiful way. Oh, I want to go back and ask you a few questions if it's okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. What really stands out to me is that moment that you and Carla were in this courtyard with mm -hmm. these flowers. I'm assuming it was a nice day. It was a beautiful day, right? which was so the opposite of what right. was going the on. The irony. The <laughs> irony that, you know, people are walking to in and out of the hospital right. going to work. Mm -hmm. My thought was, how can you, how can you do that? We were just told she's dying. The world yeah. can't keep spinning. <laughs> Yeah. Normally I'm losing my cousin. Yeah. It's, it's hard. You, you think everything should come to a crashing halt and it doesn't, it just keeps going on around you. It does. I'm sorry. I've interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Like talk to me about the deeper feelings that you are having in that courtyard. Like that's really a big one. I think when something is happening to someone we love, mm -hmm. the main feeling is, is helplessness. It is. It is. And my main concern at that moment, um, I'm an empath by nature mm -hmm. and I, I tend to probably take things too deeply. Um, mm -hmm. My main thought, I have to say at that moment, other than I could not believe what we just heard mm -hmm. was how she was feeling and how yeah. 
that had to be so hard for her. And there really wasn't anything I could do to make that better. You know, and I, I worried, I would wake up in the middle of the night and worry if she was awake. And if mm. she's awake, is she scared? Mm. You know, it, those thoughts just stayed with me. And when I wasn't with her, I was texting her, you know, how are you doing? How are you doing? Um, probably to the point that she wished I would stop it. But I was so worried about her emotional mm. welfare, knowing that you just have a few weeks left. I can't imagine how that well, feels. And, and also, I wonder if that, that worry maybe masked some of your worry about yourself not sure. having Carla in your life. Like you want to connect with her because yes. you yes. are short on time too. Right. Right. Yeah. We yeah. connected. I mean, we were always cousins, you know, you know, you're always your cousins. I always adored her, but throughout this cancer process, throughout the clinical trial process, it was a different kind of connection. It was a right. now's our last chance to say what we really feel. And yeah. I, I wrote her a letter um, because she is very emotional. She was very emotional. And I knew if I sat down and said all of these things verbally to her, neither one of us would get Make past the first two <laughs> points. So one night I sat down in my kitchen at my mm -hmm. island. My husband and my dog were sound asleep. And I wrote her a five page letter. And I just let my feelings spill out onto the page. And I talked about times we had together that were funny, things mm -hmm. that made us laugh, the times we had together that were very hard for us, losing family members together, um, mm -hmm. just all the things we went through. She was divorced, um, but had a wonderful relationship with her ex, but that was still hard. And I don't know, it just filled up five pages of paper and I folded it up, put it in an envelope and gave it to her the next day when I went to see her. And I said, I wrote you a letter, read it when you want to, you don't have to read it now. And she just looked at me and said, I can't read this now. I can tell you that much. I won't be able to do that with you. And I felt better though, really getting all those words that I just would have trouble saying out loud down on paper, how much That's I would miss beautiful. her. I told her that mm -hmm. I would look for her in every star, every moon, because one specific thing she said to me, I need to repeat this because it made me feel so much better. In that courtyard, she said, I'm not afraid of dying. You know, that's not what frightens me. Leaving my kids frightens me the most. And she mm -hmm. took my hand and she said, but Linda, I promise you, when I get wherever I'm going, if I can communicate with you that I'm there, and I'm okay, I'm going to do that. So you be on the lookout for some sort of sign that I'm, that I'm okay, that there is actually something on the other side. And there she is taking care of you again. She's taking care of me again. And I thought she means it. Yeah. She will do yeah. it if she can. Absolutely. So it wasn't that long. It was maybe six months after she passed. And of course I was looking all over. I told her, I'll see you in every butterfly. Every time mm -hmm. I see the color purple, I'll see you. Every mm -hmm. time I hear a rock song, she loved rock music. I will think of you. Um, just that I, she would always be around me. I was at my mother's one evening and my mother is sight impaired. And 
we had her television on and her cable box said 5.30. And I looked up at her clock hanging on the wall, battery operated clock, and it was spinning around. And I said, mom, there's something wrong with your clock. And we looked at the clock. No, I take it back. It wasn't 5.30. It was 6.05 on the cable box. The clock was just spinning very fast, both hands going around. And she said, there must be something wrong with it. And I said, that is so bizarre. I, she said, I just put new batteries in it. So I said, Carla loved clocks. Step back. Mm-hmm. And she knew that I loved clocks. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think that's a sign from Carla because it just wouldn't stop. And I said, Carla, yeah. if that's you, stop that clock at 610. That hands coming around, boom, 610, it stopped moving. Wow. Wow. After just rant, just wildly yeah, going around. I actually got that on tape on my phone. I love and it. And I loved <laughs> it. And I said, she Yay. has communicated with me. Yeah. And there have been signs I've had ever well, since the, then too. Yeah. And the fact that you got to hear that promise from her, yes. that's, her that's not common. You it know, isn't. it's, it is, it's not something, it's such a gift and such a sweet, um, way to transition from a uh, physical in-person right. live in-person friendship re- relationship right. cousinship to something that's more spiritual and it is energetic and you know I say this all the time I probably said it on a couple of other podcast <laughs> episodes <laughs> but that memory is a stamp on your heart and it is we, it doesn't change ever again. So it's this, it's this thing you have for her and that is the, what you have and that's what you share. And so your connection to her gets stronger and stronger even after the parting. And so it does. Yeah. She actually asked me if I wanted her to deliver any messages to anyone when she got there. <laughs> I love it. I mean, this she is sounds like that's something I, that's something I would do. I'd be like, oh everyone my, turn in your at your afterlife. I know. Uh, I know. And I any know. signs or symbols and I will take them with me. Cause you know, I can take exactly, that. Exactly. <laughs> she said, when I get there, who do you want me to give messages yeah. to? Well, my father and her father were both in heaven. And I said, well, Carla, of course our dad's. Tell my dad I love him and I miss him so much. And I said, and my four girls, my four dogs are there. Yeah. And um, I said, be sure and tell them how much Mark and I love and miss them every single day. And it got very emotional, me crying, telling her who I wanted her to give hugs and messages to. Yeah. But when I had that communication from her, which I completely believe was from her, um, the way I said, stop that clock at 610 if it's you. And it stopped at 610 after all that whirling around. Mm-hmm. I felt this great amount of comfort that she had passed all of that along to my loved ones. Mm-hmm. And it gave me more comfort than I can ever say. And I thank her in prayer all the time for giving me that opportunity to communicate with them through her. And most of all, for thinking of that when she was going through so much herself, Mm. she was giving her, she asked me one night to come over and help her sort what she was giving goodwill, what she was giving to 
um, her daughters, what she was giving to her friends. She had everything labeled. This goes to Trudy. This goes to Kelly. This goes to Linda. I mean, the woman was on a mission and it amazed me. That's a gift to have that. I mean, some people say, have said, you know, sometimes I think I won't say some people say, but sometimes I think I just want to die. I don't want to know I'm going to die. And then there's other times where I'm like, if I could have two or three weeks, that would be great. So that I could do things like that for the people. And that's right. Those of us who like to take care of others. Exactly. (laughs) But, um, but it was, but how sweet it was that you got to be a part of that time. It was very special. And I know, I know you, she probably benefited and was comforted by the fact that somebody, she didn't have to put as much weight on her daughters as Mm -hmm. she might have otherwise, if you didn't, if you didn't step up and and help. Yeah. And she, she cried with me in front of me, which she didn't want to do in front of her kids. Wow. So we'd sit up in her room on her love seat and I would Mm -hmm. just put my arms around her and she put her head on my shoulder and she would just cry. And we'd hold hands and I would just, you know, rub her arm and tell her it was okay. Cry all you want, Mm -hmm. say whatever you want. And she would constantly say to me, I just can't say this to my kids. It would hurt them too much. So I just think being a, being what I refer to as a transition person was a true gift. It was a blessing. Um, I wish that she was still here, but she is always with me. Mm -hmm. She's always in my heart. Oh, Linda, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank I you. have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. In all of this caretaking for Linda, or for for Linda, for <laughs> yeah. for Carla, uh-huh. how did you take care of Linda? <laughs> what were you um, doing um, in your own time to process this? these experiences and assimilate like what was happening. And maybe you're still doing that. But I would talk to my husband when I got home, he knew how much I loved Carla and he was a good listener. Um, I'm ashamed to say I wasn't doing a lot for my own well-being. I was mm-hmm. very wrapped up in what was going on with her, but I was trying to distract myself. Um, I was reading the Bible I was praying a lot. Um, I'd go to bed at night and when I was supposed to be going to sleep, I would tick off in my head everything I needed to pray for. Um, and again, like I said, I would wake up in the middle of the night and wonder if she was okay. Yeah. You know, and, um, it, it, yeah, it was a tough time. I don't think I really did. Self-care wasn't high on my list at that time, but in retrospect, I realized that it should be because if you're not well, you can't help anyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, so we were also all in a, a pretty traumatic shock state just with the exactly. Pandemic. We were in lockdown. Yeah, yeah, we were in lockdown. And so there was just so much going on. There was. So- and I have to say that, unfortunately, um, I'm an NPR junkie and everything <laughs> Everything that's fantastic. Unfortunate. (laughs) Um, I'm an Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon, you know, fan. (laughs) And I would watch the news shows at night because I'm a news junkie. And with everything going on in the political arena in our country, 
that was very upsetting. So I should not have done that in retrospect. That <laughs> You're like, Carla, I'm coming with you. <laughs> Everything's I going know. to hell here. <laughs> oh, please don't let that orange man get into the White House. No. That would be a tragedy. Oh um, but I, right. I, got, I was very involved in all of that. And yeah. I had to hear everything that was said. I had to listen to every speech wow. that everyone made. And I don't know if I was using that as a distraction to get my mind off of coping mechanism. It was a coping mechanism maybe because I truly was addicted. I would stay up late, you know, watching all the CNN specials and, and and my husband would, my husband would go to bed and shut it off because he couldn't stand it. So he's like, I got to sleep lady. (laughs) I know. Don't tell me what they said. I don't want to hear anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I also find that when you're faced with uncontrollable situations mm-hmm. that you try to find that which you can control and what we yes. consume is what we control. And, and so mm-hmm. sometimes that's just like, listen, I can watch it and know it. And if I can't, right. anything, at least I'm, at least I'm, I can pray about it or whatever. Exactly. You know? exactly. So um, I think it's, yeah. it's understandable. Well, I know that you, this probably isn't the last time that you're going to be of service in this way to someone who you love. Um, I hope that maybe it is. I hope that I can maybe help other family members with cancer. We have so many of them in my husband's family. Um, And two sisters, both stage four cancers and both hanging in there, you know, is the best you can do. Yeah. Well, I, I hear in your story that there was a lot of pain and sadness, but also probably a lot of gifts and, and, it, and things you learned about yourself. And many gifts, many gifts, lots of sadness, but I'll be honest, Rochelle, I wouldn't trade those months with her for anything. Mm-hmm. It truly was a blessing just to be in her presence and, yeah just to feel her courage and her energy. I mean, if anything, she kept me going on days that I was having a hard time. So um, it was here together. It is. And I I can't wait to be reunited with her. And Hmm. she was a special lady. Hmm. And, and I also want to say that what you do for people in that situation, caregivers, thrivers, survivors is incredible. I hope you know what a gift you are mm, to people like you, us. You, you truly are. And you truly are. You're so well, courageous. And, and Yeah. And these conversations that I want to put out there are so that I don't, so that I'm not the only one that's, that's receiving this kind of just really beautiful storytelling and knowledge yes. and, and so that we don't feel alone because exactly so many people out there. And I think oftentimes it's the cancer patient that gets a lot of the attention in the situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The support people really, um, they have such a a strong role and such Mm a, they wear the cancer pants too. Yes, they do. So I think that it's important for their perspective to be seen and heard Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, we can also, when we're reaching out to support someone who ha- has been diagnosed with cancer or any other right. illness, that we also look towards their family. And I know that that's a lot of people do that, but I just want the whole, the whole story to be heard. Yes. And your part of the story is 
beautiful. So thank you so much for being here. And You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It, this is an honor as well. Oh, Linda, you're great. I'll talk to you. Hopefully you'll come back and talk to us another time. Call me anytime. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Rochelle. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Cancer Pants Podcast. All the references and links to information about the guest today can be found in your show notes. Go out and find the joy. Wear the pants. You are right where you belong. Take care. Took the time to listen. Took the time.